Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show. I'm producer Jason Dawes, and here with me are our hosts, Dr. Russ McCullough and Dr. Levi Russell. So today, uh, Jason had the idea to talk about recycling, which is not something I don't think we've tackled with a whole episode, certainly, um, but maybe we've mentioned now and then. Uh, but I think we can, we can certainly get some kind of faith component out of it, but also uh, certainly an economic component yeah, out of it. Yeah, you've got the stewardship aspect yeah, that's right. pretty easy to... That was the first thing I thought of, too. Yeah. Yeah. So a little a bit about the history of kind of recycling in the U.S. Um, and I'll, I'm going to link to this old 2008 Popular Mechanics article. I think gives a good overview of kind of the discussion, the debate that at least at the time was being had. And I think some a lot of the things they talk about have been implemented since then. But sort of the beginning of the recycling movement in the U.S. Uh, actually kind of was sparked by one event. There was a barge on the Mississippi uh, that was full of trash and it could not find a, a, a port at that time. And so because of this very sort of limited in scope uh, and, and time event, it sort of sparked this huge push into uh, recycling all over the place. And so we kind of got the, the sort of stereotypical, you know, suburban recycling bins on the curb kind of thing uh, through the 80s. And that was the event that started it. And, and, and that, because people thought, well, we're running out of space, you know, we're running out of landfill space. Clearly we were not at the time, and, but unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to think about it, it, it really did kind of go beyond its, its own little event there. And so, you know, what we have now is we have, to, to an extent, whether implicitly or explicitly, uh, you know, subsidized recycling programs in pretty much every community that I can think of in, in the U.S. in some form or another, especially in bigger cities and suburban areas. And uh, one of the things that this article points out, you know, is that, that a lot of this really is a political thing, too. So there's not just an economic component to this, I think. And an emotional thing. Yeah, right. Well, and I think, but I think the political thing comes from that sort of innate feeling that we have that maybe gets to the stewardship angle. But so, Jason, this was your topic. What, what, uh, what kind of thing? Just before yeah. you jump into that, okay. you just made me think of, there's many people that are on that this type of movement, but it, it's not faith related at all. Like, so I think it goes well beyond religion or, or faith with stewardship that we need to be good stewards, but rather there's some people who well, could arguably be said to worship the environment. Let's say that is yes, their religion. Right, right. right. And so once they've uh, adopted that as their something that's important to them, then they're pretty hardcore on it. And so they're acting on that belief. One of the other articles I'll link to talks about it as sort of a a key part of the civic religion, you know, the sort of mother Gaia, right? Mother earth. Yeah. uh, And that sort of thing. So there are, there are definitely religious components outside of the sort of Christianity aspect, but Jason, what what were your initial thoughts? Why did you want to talk about this subject? So we were actually taking some recycling down uh, at my apartment. There's a trash chute from our floor, but you have to walk recycling all the way down to the bottom floor. And we Uh got there and people had left like a couch 
in the recycling <laughs> and they had left a washer. Like, I don't know if you think that can be recycled or if you're just kind of being, being yeah, rude being and lazy, leaving it yeah. there. Um, <laughs> right. but we're, so we got into the conversation about what can be recycled. And it's, it's actually amazing when you look it up, little things that you don't know when you're recycling, like a bottle of water. Like you're not supposed to recycle it with the cap on. You're all supposed to remove that little band that the cap is attached to originally from yep. the water bottle. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So there are That's like cool. a yeah. bunch of little things that no one knows about when it's recycling, which is why there was that big movement to ship it somewhere where you you can cheaply pay somebody to go through and take care of all those little things. Oh, put it to a low cost labor country mm -hmm. to do the sorting for us. Yeah. Put them to work. And, well, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Well, there's yeah. pushback to that, but that sounds like <laughs> sure. uh, from an economist perspective, like an interesting concept. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that is an interesting thing, you know, because we, we always, we always hear, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle. Like, I, I don't know if maybe that was a nineties thing, but you always heard those, the three R's, right? And so it, it's, it's kind of one of those things where I do to, not remember that campaign. You don't? No, no not the reduce. It could be like a generational. Yeah. Thing, I, I know that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe like dare or something too. Yeah. You know? but anyway, so. Uh, I might be revealing my cards that I'm not yeah. much of a reason. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But it, but it is, it is an interesting kind of thing because there's so much emphasis on recycling these days. But really, the first two are probably more effective. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If you're, if you think about, you know, well, I have this coffee cup, right? you know, reducing my usage yeah. of materials in general because I have a durable coffee cup rather than, you know, a foam right. one. I mean, that's not, that's nothing that to do with recycling. I've, I've been on that move. There you go. Yeah, you got your butter bottle. You know, and then reuse. Well, there's a big movement. I think this whole, you know, upcycle thing, right? Like. Oh, you got a you got a pair of jeans with kid has a pair of jeans with holes in the knees. You know, cut them off and make them shorts or something. You know, or whatever. And so that's reusing, right? And then recycling, which is its own production process in general, right? And so in in, in other countries where the technology is is significantly lower, I mean, people make a life out of digging through other people's trash, mm -hmm. you know, and, and trying to find, and, you know, you're trying to find treasures usually, but yeah. yeah, to an extent, but I mean, <laughs> you know, they're, I mean, they're making some kind of use out of, uh, yeah. out of that thing, but one man's junk is another man's treasure. Well, and when recycling first started to become a big thing, like you could get paid to recycle. If you take your cans, you could get a certain mm -hmm. amount of money for yeah. that. But In then, Iowa, it was five cents a can. Yeah. But yeah. then it became, there became so much of it that that was just, not feasible to be able to pay everybody for the amount that was being sent in and that was nasty too sometimes we'd go and you know try to give our cans back and so in kansas they don't have these things but you'd go to the grocery store and you have these massive machines like this area and you know everybody with their last little dripper drops of of soda in the cans yeah and there'd be bees and there'd be stickiness and nastiness Ugh. and you'd be shoving it in yeah. there holding your nose because it stank yeah. i mean it really was which which is interesting thing. and did people did report on kind of you know, potential health hazards that were in there right too. and so i mean isn't that the funny thing right like i think there's 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 sort of a parting of ways in the discussion of of all of this kind of resource usage stuff and stewardship it's like is the point to make life better for humanity or is there some kind of value to preserving 
the world as it is in and of itself. Yeah, and that's where right? I think the rub would be on Christianity from some right. maybe non-Christians or uh, that, oh, you guys just think you can use the earth for whatever human purposes you want, but mm -hmm. you're just yeah. a, a but, user equal to the yeah. animals and the insects and yep. the whatever. So, But but that's the thing, right? It's, so you, you get to this thing where the, the intention was to recycle but you end up creating, you know, another problem where you've basically got a, you know, a sugar dumping site and it's, you know, it's getting into the water. And so it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting parting of the ways there. And I think there is a, a legitimate sense in which people, we, we want to, you know, reuse stuff, but how do we look at it? Do we look at it as purely an environmental standpoint? And this, this popular mechanics article talks about the, you know, we, we have a really good life cycle analysis now, which is where we kind of say, Okay, everything that it, you know, the, the creation of maybe like a Prius, right? You know, the, the car, right? So everything that we have to do to get this Prius, right? Okay, what about the batteries? Mm -hmm. Well, those are, you know, those batteries use rare earth minerals from, you know, mines in China that are horrifically, that use, use, you know, strip mining is the only way you can do it. And it's really environmentally damaging. And, you know, you got to make the battery. The yeah. Then you got to, you ship it to Europe. You got to, you know, you got to put it on a boat and ship it two thirds of the way around the world to Europe or something like that. And then back to Japan to put the car together, you know, and then it's like, well, you might as well have a three quarter ton diesel truck at that point. There's, there's a way in which you can kind of try to measure this stuff in terms of energy usage, which is, which comes from the environmental side. But the economic side then is, okay, well, you know, after, after the price of aluminum fell, you know, secondhand aluminum fell, well, then what's, what's the payoff for me to go out? You know, I, I mean, I always had friends that had, um, you know, in their can garage, they would have the can cruncher, right? Because you want to get, you want to pack all that stuff into as a small a bag as possible yeah. when you take it in. And then they're not even going to pay you for it. Well, then what's the point? Right. And you know, see, that was the other thing in Iowa. In order for the machine to accept it, that the can had to be not crunched. Oh, oh yeah. really? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't by weight. So basically, you put it into this machine, it would suck it in there, and it would spin it around and read it to make sure it's a legitimate can. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was, you make know, sure it was allowed, aluminum. Yeah. aluminum right. And then it would give you a credit. And so <laughs> you're just sitting there feeding in the cans with the, yeah, you know, right. and you're bringing in this garbage bag full of oh, cans. Oh, my goodness. And it was all gooey and messy yeah. and nasty. I mean, it, it was not not the most pleasant. Yeah, see, and for me, like in a small town in Kansas, if we wanted to recycle, we had to take it to a scrapyard. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that's the thing is, you know, I, I feel like to some extent people are just not very well versed on a lot of stuff. For, so for instance, I've, I always, I love those like how stuff works shows where they show you like the manufacturing process of, you know, all these different things. Well, one of them is like, you know, stuff that's covered in chocolate, right? And, and you see, you know, or, or go to a Krispy Kreme, right? And you can see the glaze, glaze water mm. fountain or waterfall thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's fall. pretty cool. And, yeah. and I, I actually had a colleague, <laughs> I won't say who or where, but I had a colleague who was talking about this. And, you know, it's like, man, that just seems really wasteful. Just dump all that glaze and, and only a little bit of it gets on the donut. And I'm like, dude. It, it cycles right back through the hose. Like yeah. they just, they pump it right back it up. To some sort of it's like a water fountain. Container. Like what, yeah. what are you talking about? And it's like, that, that doesn't even strike people. That, <laughs> like they're not dumping 400 right. times as much glaze on their things just to, you know, just for fun. I mean, like, and you, you look at, you know, all kinds of manufacturing processes where they're, if the resource they're using is, is very precious and expensive, they, they do everything they yeah, can everything. to preserve. Yeah. You know, and it goes for, I mean, we had steel scrap yards for how so, long? So uh, just you know? to give you another example, when we think of a former business partner of mine, uh, uh, Mark Rogers had, 
his uh, employees use rubber spatulas because he was outraged at how much waste would happen from a let's say a jar of mayonnaise or something if you take out the rubber spatula and you clean oh, it out. Yeah, right. So right. he had multiple restaurants and he added up one time like if we don't, you know, squeegee out the butter out of the right. container. The extra two, how two many pounds of butter? Yeah, yeah, the extra two tablespoons times a thousand or whatever yeah, and the right. price of butter, how much money was actually going in the garbage can. And so right. he and he also reduced the the size of the souffle cup with the side of butter for like a baked potato or something. So instead of using a two ounce souffle cup, you used a one ounce. Because people weren't using the whole they two ounces. They weren't using it anyway. So yeah. now it looks full and you mm-hmm. fill up the one ounce and just little things like that. That yeah. you're right, businesses, because of the economic incentive, focus in on that stuff more than what we can rely on individuals Mm-hmm. that who want to with good intentions pursue the public good sure but if there's not that financial that same financial incentive we're not going to be as efficient at it as, as yeah. maybe what we find in some other business perspectives so and i know levi had mentioned that when we were just discussing it earlier about well then you have the people who don't even bother to rinse things out so the sticky cans well there there are some things that there's mm-hmm. even a little residue like they're not going to take it yeah yeah right. and it's a large fraction of it yeah the the NPR uh, episode that I, I don't think I found exactly the right one. If we put it in the show notes, maybe we'll still find it. But she basically came into the recycling thing all excited about, you know, saving the world or whatever. But as she learned what goes on at recycling plants and, and with cities that are collecting the stuff, it's a waste of time. Like mm-hmm. they, the, the economic benefit's not there. We're, yeah. we're actually causing more harm than good yeah. with, the efforts that we try to do because it all just gets wasted. So she kind of went on a personal campaign on educating cities and public that this is how you do recycling right, which might be the little things like you said about clipping the little plastic dealy off of it because I mm-hmm. I think if people know that, a, a large fraction of people would probably do it, but or a larger fraction. So, well, that looks like a good place to maybe cut the first half here and we'll uh, be back to you in 30 seconds. I wanted to bring up uh, discussion about the unknown costs and benefits uh, because we're talking about maybe saving the environment or wrecking something environmental, um, how the aspect of unknown costs kind of causes some problems. So we'll be back in 30 seconds. The Gortney Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in freedom and justice and its impact on human flourishing, faith and economics in action. If you or someone you know is looking for a college like that, contact Levi or Russ today. If you enjoy our podcast and want to support our work, please consider a one-time or recurring donation. Please visit donate.123povertysucks.org. To ask a question for our mailbag, send us an email at info at or call us at 785-248-2488. Thank you for
Okay, so we're back and maybe I'll kick off with this unknown cost concept that I left with. So with so many of these environmental issues, despite efforts to do so, there is unknowns with the timing and extent to damage that will occur. And it goes over such long periods of time that I think it's uh, easy for us to discount that. And so it seems to me what we're left with in the media is hype. Um, I think right now, tonight, the Democratic candidates are going and, and uh, so often this round and then, you know, four years ago even that there's an environmental crisis, I guess even Al Gore going back to that, that, you know, we're going to be dead in 10 years. And, yep. and so, I mean, it's kind of classic leadership 101 to, to create a sense of urgency when you have a policy measure that you want to do. So I think we too often get caught up with that being the rhetoric. And you just got to, as 10 years goes by from Al Gore and what was that, 1989, <laughs> yeah. right? So as 1999 comes by and it's like, oh, well, there's just, you know, things have changed and well, the sea level's rising and they kind of yeah. change their story to have another crisis yeah. impending in the next 10 years to try to create that sense of urgency. But I think when you've been around um, as long as I have and you've heard the story after story, it starts to kind of wear thin. So um, I think that makes it difficult for some of these, for people to act in their own self-interest as we predict and, and thinking about the costs and benefits to, the, to themselves and to the things they care about environmentally or otherwise, that tends to be really distant. And so that's what makes some of these environmental issues difficult to have good collective action. And so I'm just kind of trying to highlight the issue economically, not so much provide a bunch of answers. I, I you know, it, and some yeah. of it might need the hand of government, but then you get into issues of public choice where the researchers and the government who are now starting to gain some power and departments within the United States government are continuously coming up with new problems so that there's new funding that gets yeah. them their paycheck and job security. So that sure. gets into the public choice stuff that we've talked about in the past. And so that's, that's not always easy to deal with. Yeah, I think Milton Friedman said there is nothing so permanent as a temporary government program. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I think um, it's not easy to do. And I guess where I get on board with things is when it is in my immediate self-interest. And I'm, I'm sure that sounds awful to our listeners, but hopefully cut me some slack here that Remember, my interest does include the interest of other people that are close to me and, and other people that maybe even are distant. But like when a, when a light bulb that's environmentally friendly now costs me less electricity, I'm all about the environment. You know, so when, we, right. when things started changing that you weren't having to pay a premium to get that to be environmentally friendly, like in this NPR article, they said that the, a business had to pay $200 a ton to get their stuff recycled or $30 a ton to throw it in the landfill. Right. And that's pretty tough when you're running a business that, okay, I got to pay a premium, um, you know, from a business perspective, if they're caring about their clients and if they need to at a minimum greenwash their clients and that, that they care sure. about the environment and not just profits, but for them to keep buying their profit or their product, yeah. um, they have to take action to spend more money to be more environmentally friendly. Well, so there's yeah. always a 
So before we get into, I know Jason has some Chinese, some stuff with China that she wants to talk about, but I, I just to piggyback on that, and I think maybe put uh, sort of for the listener who's not, you know, inculcated in economics as much as we are, but you know, the way, I think the way, the, the sort of the thing behind what you're talking about is prices and whether or not those prices include social costs and benefits, right? So this is something that, yeah. uh, you know, in the economics world, we talk a lot about. And so what I think what you're talking about is, so for instance, if, if, the, if the price of aluminum is high enough so that in your mind, it's worth it to, you know, collect those aluminum cans, I mean, just as an example, right? It could be anything, it could be the, the light bulbs, right? If we assume that, you know, the sort of the social costs and benefits are included in, you know, the supply and demand, you know, situation, right. then the price is, you know, going to either induce people to put that aluminum back into the, the, that sort of secondary market or it's not. But the question, I think, on the policy side becomes, you know, are these subsidies for recycling too much? Because the recycling yeah. isn't worth enough, or are the subsidies too low? Because uh, you know we don't accurately have a, a good idea of what the social cost benefits are. But of course, the problem is, if it's not explicitly in the market already, I mean, yeah. just 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 specifying the problem doesn't solve the problem. And, and right? you're touching we still on how difficult it is to measure the cost. The, the right. We don't know what the, the social cost is. If, if we charged a tax or had a subsidy that was equal to the external cost that the environmental harm, if you will, then we'd be okay. But you're kidding yourself if you can actually, we're back to what I started with earlier, that you can't mm -hmm. estimate that cost very well. So then it's right. very likely that your yeah. subsidy is going to be too big or too small or mm -hmm. not right at all. And you might be causing more harm than it's worth. So you kind of mentioned how if it's not like immediately important to you that it's probably not always going to happen with things like recycling. And that's kind of what I, I was reading an article about how the government handles our recycling. And it, it's kind of the same way they were able to give their recycling to countries like China. And China took about 70, I think it was 70% of the US recycled material. Mm. And they took about 90 to 95 of the European Union's recycled material. Mm. And wow. yeah, it's just yeah. amazing. Wow. But recently China decided that they were going to start cutting off imports of recycled material. And they will only wow. take a 99.5% purity standard for recycling, <laughs> which is just, like experts are like, this is almost impossible. impossible for recycled material, recycled material to be that clean. And mm. so interesting now, case of, of putting in a regulation that basically stifles trade. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're basically trading recyclables, right? We're selling them our recyclables yeah. right now. And so then all these countries started sending their recycled material to smaller countries who were willing to take it. And then they just got overwhelmed with the amount. So <laughs> yeah, now China we, was so huge, yeah. big buyer. And now we've got all this recycled material that we don't have it much of a plan of what to do with it. Yeah. People are burning it, throwing it in the trash cities are because they, they didn't have a plan because it was so easy to just pass it off to the next person. Now, whatever happened to just sending it off into space and worrying about it in 20,000 years. <laughs> yeah. And, until it, it sort of all collects together and becomes an asteroid. And, you know, we're, like the plastic in the oceans that kind of collects into the, right. we'll send it off and then yeah. that thing will hit some orbit and become a back. Yeah, exactly. That sounds like a great movie plot. It, yeah, you know, I mean, a big garbage wad is coming, accelerating through. It's like a four hour long version of Deep Impact. Yeah. yeah. You gotta have, add two hours to the front end to talk about where the asteroid came from. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, so I, th- I think the, the, that's an interesting thing because that, that gets into – now recycling isn't just a sort of domestic and, and, and really a local capacity issue. You know, do you – can you justify, you know, this extra set of trucks, you know, chasing the other set of trucks around, right? Right. You know, you got your trash trucks and you got your, you know, your recycle trucks. Mm-hmm. And I know when I lived in Athens, Georgia, you know, kind of a, you know, very environmentally conscious community, you know, most of the providers it was – you had, you know, one bin of a certain size, you know, and, and if you wanted more bins, you had to pay more for it, right? So this whole, in this popular mechanics article, they talk about, you know, maybe maybe more communities will develop this pay-as-you-throw kind of oh. system. And and so That's it really was. If you wanted if you wanted another bin, you had to pay a lot more for that second bin. But you got you got a, a trash bin and you got a recycle bin. The recycle bin got collected every two weeks. So I mean, you know, we think of recycling as this very local kind of problem or at the most, you know, something at the state level. But my goodness, you know, now it's, it's really obvious that it's not. It's, it's an international trade problem. And so now we're getting into, so did the, did the regulations, was there, was that because of, you know, the, the sort of tariff battle and yes. stuff like that? That's, so this that's wasn't, kind of what I was reading. This wasn't about. recent development. Yes. That's what I was kind mm-hmm. of wondering. Yeah, so, it's, so that's the thing is now we're talking about recycling policy, not even being, you know, how do you view the environment or how do you view economic efficiency? Yeah. Now it's how do you view your international trade relations, relations. with other countries? I mean, that's impacting yeah. your ability to recycle effectively. My goodness. And what's buried on page 3,654 <laughs> of the trade agreement about trade yeah. or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. It's just interesting to think about there's all of these advertisements, things going on that you, sh- you need to recycle, reduce, reuse, recycle. Uh-huh. And it's like, yeah, but what are you going to do with it when I do? Because apparently you don't have yeah. a game plan there. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And, and that may be, again, going back to Russell's point, that might be an indication that it's just that the, re- the, the, the that material as a resource is simply not worth what they think it is. Mm-hmm. And so because of these, you know, maybe short-sighted types of subsidies for recycling kind of run into these long-run problems when, you know, it becomes, a, it becomes it, an international trade and issue. And see, some people might not care because they just want to feel good about themselves, right? Yeah, right? right. So it's almost like when you give willy-nilly to some charity that you don't understand well. Yeah. And they paid the CEO As long as you gave, you feel good about yourself because you right. did your duty and you're done, mm-hmm. but you're not really thinking about the end game of, yeah. Well, what did that hundred dollar bill do to that person on the street? Did they did it make them worse off or, or better off? Well, I think I think that actually kind of speaks to a couple different things. I think number one is just sort of the idea that uh, you know subsidiarity, something we've talked about a lot, yeah. where you need to see the, the the ultimate effects. The more the ultimate effects you see of of some action, the more you're not going to have that sort of you know I guess behavioral economics kind of irrationality that that comes into it. If you see the actual effects of it then you're maybe a lot more likely to to have your behavior line up with what what's actually happening with it. Well, and review that concept one more time, subsidiarity. Yeah, so the subsidiarity just says that um, it's just a political principle that the, the lowest or smallest political unit should handle everything that it can. And you should only move up to a larger or more distant political unit if that that action has to be handled at that high And I, I think it started in the Catholic Church that that yeah. was a principle to adhere to. Like that's right. look out for those things that are closest to you, the things that you can have an impact on. Right, yeah, yeah. So if you go back to bringing uh, this faith uh, component sure. back into this yeah. argument, I think it's interesting that, well, from a biblical standpoint then, do I have to worry about 
what that person does with my recycling or did I complete right. my duty as a good Christian well, I, to, to uh, at least do the recycling. I don't have control over that, but I can control what's in front of me and nearby me and my community. Well, I think, I, I think that, that that's a good point that you have to kind of act within, you know, your sphere of influence. But I think the other thing is, is that that may be a good criticism to level at the system itself. Yeah. That if you do push it up to that higher level, right, it's just people's duty then gets divorced from, you know, the effectiveness of it. And so then we're talking about it in a moral sense, you know, your yeah. duty to, to recycle and, and to be a good steward. It, it just, you know, it, it creates a lot more political problems too, right? Because then now all of a sudden we're talking about international trade policy when we should just be talking about being a good steward of the resources we're using. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that looks like a good place to wrap unless there's any final words. I'm so, just really glad you brought up the whole uh, China international trade thing. That makes it yeah, sense. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of that's really weird. In that's a crazy other thing. Yeah. Concepts, yeah. I'll, I'll just add one other thing I read that was really interesting. And it was talking about what, what countries have started to do. And there have been pushes to open up new plants, do better about how, how sorting and handling contamination is done domestically but they've also started doing bans like in Europe at least of like single-use plastics so now straws oh and gosh. plastic cutlery yeah. all of those are no longer and we've already stopped doing like shopping bags and stuff so there's already yeah there, there was a cer certain amount of uh, recycling that was acceptable and now they're just reducing the amount that's acceptable to yeah. Well, you know, you, when I was in South Africa, the my tour guide where we were eating lunch said, "Oh, I'm so glad they're using paper straws." She's eating, oh. drinking from this big, you know, it looked like it was starting to get a little nasty or whatever. But yeah. and I, you know, of course, bit my tongue, but I was tempted to say, "Did you know that that paper straw costs ten times more than?" Or yeah, I don't, I don't right. know what the data is, but I'm sure it's a heck of yeah. a lot more than one single plastic straw. Whenever we talk about stuff like that, it, it, and so it's not appropriate to play the clip on this podcast because George Carlin, who was very uh, spicy, <laughs> but but he has this he has this little comedy bit where he talks about like you know everybody's worried about you know the environment and the earth. He's like, the earth is going to be fine. <laughs> That plastic bag came from the earth. The earth doesn't care. The people, you know, that's where the problem is. So anyway, I won't link to that. But you can, you can find it if you want to. George Carlin Environmental Stuff. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, on behalf of the Gorton Institute team here at Ottawa University, I'd like to thank you for listening. And uh, make sure you hit the old subscribe button. And uh, if you like what you're hearing, tell your friends about it too. So... Um, other than that, we will recycle, reduce, and uh, what was the other one? Reuse. Uh, reuse as needed as we be fruitful and multiply. Talk to you later.